New King James Version this morning. Verse 4. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, and they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and turn, turn aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Still trying to get used to things, <laughs> but we will get there. Amen. Rome wasn't built in a day, and uh, I haven't been the pastor of this church very long either, so um, I'm sure you'll forgive me for that if I sort of do things a bit different or get them. Amen. As Paul said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, that's you, that's me, in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. At the age of 20, dropping out of Harvard University, Bill Gates foresaw the day when every desktop and home would have a personal computer and that the greatest potential for creativity and profits would be found in developing software. He was right, and the rest is history. Bill Gates is one of the richest men in the world and considered by many as one of the most successful people in our modern age. Success. How do we measure it? How do we determine success in the Lord? How do we as a church determine success in ministry? How do we determine the success of our walk in Christ? You know, it's a bit unfortunate, but we live in a culture that is driven by success. And the unfortunate part is that even Christians have adopted the culture. You see, the culture measures success by either academic achievement, financial gain, relational bliss, or physical well-being. The culture says unless you have more, unless you earn more, do more, or unless you have bigger, bigger car, bigger house, bigger church, bigger financial portfolio, or unless you're an amazing relational guru and you get along with every person you come in contact with, unless your health is so good that you'll never die, 
you can easily be considered as unsuccessful without the achievement of those things. That's the culture, folks. And even in the church, the culture has influenced her so that the, the church will sometimes measure its success based on the numbers, based on how smooth things seem to run, based on the lack of trials, based on its wealth. So because of that, this morning, I want to challenge the culture. And I want to challenge any notion that we might have that would suggest that to be successful, we must have more, bigger, and better. And although those things can exist in God's economy, they don't necessarily determine the measure of our success in the Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we trust as you dwell in us that you will illuminate the word to us, Lord, that you will help our thoughts and our hearts, Lord, to be focused on what you have to say to us, that you will lead, guide, and direct us, Lord, this morning. We pray that, Lord, because we are marred by sin, and because of that, our thoughts, Lord, are not perfect. They are not fully wise. They are not that great at all, and neither are our hearts. So we come to the one who can do all things, and we ask, Lord, that you would do it today for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> and so this morning I want to give you a couple examples, one from history and the other from biblical history. And I want to begin with a man by the name of um, Adoniram Judson. We just call him Judson. Adoniram is a hard word to pronounce. So Adoniram Judson. Anyone heard of Adoniram Judson? Not too many people. Well, he was an American Baptist missionary, and uh, though he was warned not to go to Burma, he he entered that country over 200 years ago, in July of 1813, believing with all his heart that God had called him to Burma. And there he invested 38 years of his life preaching the word, preaching Christ, where Christ had not been preached before. And the cost for Judson was very high. But in God's perfect economy, his suffering, his suffering had a plain purpose. And so Judson entered Burma with his wife, Anne, in 1813. And this is what he wrote to her father after only one month of courting. He, this kind of gives you an idea of the, the, the determination of the man and the heart of the man. And he wrote this to um, Anne's father after only one month of courting her. He says, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world and whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and the sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to insult, to persecution, and perhaps 
even a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness and brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall rebound to her Saviour from heathen saved through her faithful service from eternal woe and despair. Her father's reply, she can make up her own mind. <laughs> Anne Judson bore three children. The first was born dead as they sailed from India to Burma. The second died 17 months old and the third outlived Anne by only six months before passing himself. In the culture of this world, he claimed she was a failure. And yet this is what she wrote to a friend before heeding the Lord's call. She said, I feel willing and expect if nothing in providence prevents me to spend my days in the world in heathen lands. Yes, I have come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here and to sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends and go where God in his providence shall see on July 13, 1930, the Judsons arrived in Burma and there began a lifelong battle in the 42 degree heat with cholera, malaria, dysentery and unknown miseries that would take two of Judson's wives and seven of his 13 children and colleague after colleague in death. And he would never see his family again apart from one voyage 33 years later Burma would be his home until sickness would see him set sail aboard a ship seeking medical help but never never to see the sight of land again he died at sea and was buried there and what would our culture say as it seeks to preserve its pride its glamour its wealth and health what would it say Judson you were a failure and then there's the prophet Jeremiah, and in his book we have this introduction, Jeremiah 1, verses 4 to 8. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah says, Alas, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, because I am a youth. Jeremiah seems humbled and honest enough to acknowledge that because of his youth and inexperience, he wasn't a skilled orator, that he couldn't preach like Billy Graham and hold an audience or woo them to an altar call. And the culture would say, fail. Yet Jeremiah would go on to say, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. 
Those were encouraging words spoken by our Lord. And as Jeremiah trusted the Lord and preached his word, he couldn't help but feel a sense of failure as a preacher. You see, Jeremiah saw no converts. In fact, for his obedience, he suffered much persecution and suffering. And the culture would say, And then you could look at Jesus. In his ministry here on earth, even many of his disciples in John chapter 6 and verse 66, it says this, after many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus inquired of the twelve, do you want to go as well? Successful, the culture would say a failure. So when the culture looks at things, their conclusion for a man who would travel to a heathen country to suffer for the sake of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to a people who would be slow to respond that the loss of two wives and seven out of thirteen children was all part of the call upon his life by the sovereign God of the universe, the culture would conclude that he was not a very successful man. And when a man in his youth, without speaking skills, is called to preach the gospel, the good news, and the very ones that he is striving to help turn around and turn on him and persecute him and consider him a failure, what should men like this do? They must turn to a place like 2 Timothy chapter 4 and they must heed the Apostle Paul's charge to a young pastor named Timothy. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you and me be sober in all things and do a hardship through the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So this is how God's people are to achieve success in life and ministry. Preach the word in season and out of season. This is the counterculture of the Christian. This is what the culture looks at as a failure but what the Christian views as a great success. That word preaches and imperative is a, a command. You get what a command means. It means you have no choice. This is not an option. This is something you are told to do. You do it. 
That's a command. And the Lord gives us this command. Preach the word. It's an imperative for two reasons. First, it's imperative to preach the word because according to verse 1, the sovereign Lord of our universe will judge us for it. As it's written in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the, the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. What does 2 Timothy 3.16-17 teach us? It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for what kind of work? Every good work. How we will be judged for all our deeds, good or bad. So Paul makes this clear with Timothy. He will be judged according to what he has done, and so preach the word. Second, it's imperative for the sake of the people in verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and then will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You know what, unfortunately, many in today's churches are no different to the culture in Timothy's time. They want the wealth and health message because that is the measure of success that they use. And so their preachers and teachers sound more like Oprah, Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz. Their preachers and teachers cave in to popular demand and have made it their point to give the people what they want to tickle their ears. I want to tell you now, I'm not here to tickle your ears. You will not get me down there trying to put my finger near your ear. I'm here to preach the word. That's what I'm called to do. Their preachers and teachers cave in to popular demand and made it their point to give the people what they want so that their success can be measured by numbers. But how will the men of God respond? How will the people of God respond when the people in the pews of life can do a sound doctrine? And how will they respond when the people in the pews want their ears, ears tickled and and would prefer preachers and teachers in accordance to their own desires? And how will they respond when the people in the pews turn away their ears from the truth and turn to myths and fables and every wind of doctrine? The men of God and the people of God will preach the word in season and out of season. They may lose their job. They may lose the numbers. They may suffer persecution, but they will not have failed. 
Joshua 1.8.9, the Lord gives this charge to a man who would replace the great Moses and lead the people into the promised land. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Preach it. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Folks, as I begin my pulpit ministry here at BECC, I consider this to be my charge from the Lord, to preach the word in season and out of season. And for you, the people of God, be ready in season and out of season to also proclaim the word of God. And what is the word we preach? John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the, and the word was with, and the word was, he was in the beginning of God. And what is the word we preach? John 1.14, and the word became and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And what is the word we preach? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly, foolishness to the culture, to those who are perishing. But to us who are saved, being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 23. For we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness. As we enter into a new phase, I guess, of ministry and leadership, I want to ask you to pray for me. I want to ask you to pray that the Lord will give me the strength to be strong, to be courageous, to not tremble, to not fear, to cut it straight, to preach His word. To be ready in season and out of season. And my prayer for you, and I will be praying for you too, is that you will endure sound doctrine for the glory of God and for your joy. As the band comes up, I want you to reflect on